Yeah, this is Michael Sweet from Striper, and you are listening to On Faith's Edge with Joe Taylor. God bless you. And reform is what I needed and what my struggle with this book purchased for me. It's giving me a new perspective. I can't go back. I can't, I can't do the old, that old language. The Christianese, I, I, it's broken in me. I can't, I can't do that anymore. I need something beyond that. I need a language that gets right to the nut, right to the essence of who you are. Tyndale called it the pith. Well, hello. Thank you to Michael Sweet for the introduction. Welcome to the 91st episode of On Faith's Edge. My name is Joe Taylor, recovering atheist and your servant in Jesus Christ. This is your place to hear conversations about God and living a life of faith in Jesus Christ. Today's show is one to get really comfortable with. It's the holidays, you may have some downtime, so it's a perfect opportunity to listen to a deep, reflective conversation. Today, author David Teams and I hang out for over an hour as we dive into the Reformation, the founders of the modern Christian church, the state of Christianity today, and being conned by Christianity. I really love bringing you these engaging conversations about faith. If this show entertains you, encourages you, informs you, or brings value to you in any way whatsoever, will you please consider financially backing the show? And the best way to do that right now is to use any Amazon link at onfaithsedge.com. And we'll get a modest commission from the purchase, and it doesn't cost you a penny more. I am so excited to bring you this conversation with David Teams about his new book, Godspeed. David was featured on National Geographic's new series, Origins, where he spoke on the life, contribution, and martyrdom of William Tyndale. A prolific writer and musician, David ranks number two in history and number nine in biography on Amazon. He has a BA in psychology from Georgia State University, and he and his wife, Benita, live near their sons in Franklin, Tennessee. And he is the author of my favorite new devotional, Godspeed, Voices of the Reformation. As it says in the prologue of the book, Godspeed doesn't pretend to be a history book, and it doesn't always behave like a devotional. Using the Reformation as its foundation, we see a glimpse of the times and its mood. It gives us a look into the fathers of the Reformation, Luther, Wycliffe, Tyndale, Calvin, and others. If you are looking to reignite your faith, I believe this devotional, Godspeed, will bring you the personal Reformation you are looking for, and I heartily endorse this book. In addition to Godspeed, David and I take a deep dive into the Reformation and the Reformers, the corruption of the Roman Church that led to the Reformation movement, how we can create our own personal Reformation, and listen for the words liberty, clarity, and sobriety. David is very transparent about his own struggle with faith, off the rails, as he would say, being conned by Christianity, including his severe anger with God. There is so much depth, transparency, and sincerity in our conversation. I believe it will cause you to be introspective about your own faith and bringing yourself closer to Jesus Christ. It's deep, thorough, and engaging. Stick around for the very end of the show, and I mean the very end of the show. You'll hear a reading from Godspeed by David that he recorded exclusively for us. 
I can make a reasonable argument, David, that Jesus himself cussed. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. I wouldn't doubt it. He has given the Pharisees the business, the woe to you stuff in um, Matthew right. 23, I think. And he reaches a point where he is just torqued off and he calls them a brood of vipers. And, oh, yeah. And I am convinced that that's, that's the equivalent to sons of, you know yeah. what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, that's exact. That's where the construction came, comes from. Vipers is a Tyndale word, too. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, the Bible tends to sanitize those things, of course, and it should. But you're right, man. It gets down when you get down to the real humanity and real. I mean, look at culture today. Man, I mean, it's I mean, it's it's everywhere. I, I mean, I, you know, and I've I've had a I've had kind of a loose tongue in the past and I've done taken a couple of decades and clean my act up. But every once in a while I'll get a kind of I, I get animated. Sure. <laughs> I love language. At all, at all extremes, you know, so. No doubt. I'm reading through the book, David Godspeed, mm-hmm. and, I, and I'm turning page by page, just totally engrossed in this thing. Good. And then I, I noticed, I'm, I'm, I'm probably about 30 pages into it. And then I noticed yeah. on, the, on, on the top of the page, there are dates. And mm-hmm. I realized, daggone it, this is a devotional. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I know. Now. Man, that's the sign. That's the sign of a good devotional, man. When good, good. when it feels like a history book, but it's still feeding you spiritually. I don't know. That, I guess that's what I get for not reading the prologue, because uh, right there <laughs> it clearly says this little book doesn't pretend to be a history book, and it doesn't always behave like a devotional. David, right. I, I, I right. do, man. I I really like Godspeed. To, well, thanks, man. I, I like I said, I I had a hard time. I mean, I really didn't want to do it. I asked not to do it, you know, and and because uh, for a lot of reasons. But um, because of that, the struggle that I had with it, it's like Luther. Luther had a, Luther struggled. He struggled with God. You know, even when he was a young monk, he struggled with God so much, man, that he would go into confession for six hours at a time. <laughs> you wow. know, wear wear his confessor out. You know, but he struggled with with God, and 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 yet it was through that struggle that he basically got to the point of clarity and, and liberty that really ignited the the reformation so struggle and, and in that same way the struggle i had helped me write this book to give our conversation context give us a okay. brief history of the reformation uh its major players and why it's uh, why it's significant sure um it kind of goes back okay luther in 1517, uh, October 31st, or it could have possibly been the next morning, November 1st, which is All Saints Day, Luther uh, put the 95, what he wrote was 95 theses or, or 95 points of, actually points of debate. Uh, he posted those to the church door in Wittenberg. Now that, you know, we, we have this wonderful image of a hammer and the, the you know, the, the hammer, the, 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 the heard around the world, you know, but he could have put up, he could have slapped it up there with glue or paste or, you know, attack. Whatever. Uh, we love our metaphors, but the point being, it, it was, it was 95 basic points of debate for, you know, and it was written in Latin. It wasn't for common, common consumption. You know, he wanted to, he was he had a real beef with a lot of the things that were going on with the with the papacy, uh, the, the the obscene wealth, um, the sexual. You talk about I mean, it, a lot of that mimics culture today in America. You talk about I me, mean, Luther, for one, I put this in my Tyndale book, Luther 
considered, he was talking about a certain cardinal. He said he was considered a living saint because he restricted his sexual activity to adult women. <laughs> and it was just that, it was just that rampant. I mean, priests had, had concubines, the Pope had illegitimate children. It was just, it was just a mess. And Luther was putting up points of debate. But reform goes back probably a couple of hundred years before that beginning, at least the official beginning, was with John Wycliffe in the mid-1350s. John Wycliffe was really the first one, even way before Luther, uh, to start writing about the complaints of the Roman Catholic Church. You know, they're treating their people like sheep, but they're not tending them or or you know, giving them uh, protection and warmth, but they're just bleeding them dry. You know, I mean, people people will talk about the lovely Sistine Chapel or the lovely buildings at the Vatican. Yeah, but those buildings were 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 bought in the sweat of the peasants, mm-hmm. and the church the church led with with uh, with terror. I mean, with horror, uh, the images of hell, fire, and damnation, and they really drove that home. So, and they didn't they didn't allow the common people access to the scripture. So the common, so the people, all they had was the the teachings of the church and and the leadings of the church. And the church uh, was a kind of a control freak, and and didn't allow the the people access. But by having no access to scripture, they of course didn't have access to the complete truth. And so they were led they were led with uh, fear, and and terror. They had things called miracle plays, where they would show the the horrors. Of hellfire, and so people were willing to give their money and with their their tithe, and it was just the, it really was a system that was just gotten more corrupt and more corrupted. But it began with John Wycliffe. Then Wycliffe had, you know, he he came up with the first uh, vernacular Bible, the first uh, Bible in English, but it was in Middle English, uh, you know, Chaucer, and so for us today it would be kind of more like primitive English to us. But it was based on the Rome on the Roman Catholic on the Vulgate of of the fourth century uh, St. Jerome, Mm -hmm. and it had a lot of holes in it. Um, It wasn't based on the original Greek and Hebrew as it was with William Tyndale, Uh, but but Wycliffe had a first vernacular Bible, and had he not, but had he not died of a stroke in 1384, he would have been burned at the stake for heresy. So less than a generation later comes Jan Hus, a Bohemian from Czechoslovakia, uh, who was a priest, and he began. He he discovered and began to to feed on the works of John Wycliffe, and eventually in 1415 he was put to death uh, for being a Wycliffeite, a Wycliffeite, and uh, for teaching and promoting the uh, the uh, teachings of John Wycliffe. So then a hundred years later comes Luther. Luther begins to feed off the work of Jan Hus, <laughs> you know, and so he's 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 accused of being a Hussite. So you have this migration. Of of reform from John Wycliffe to and then the followers of John Wycliffe to Jan Hus and then from Jan Hus a uh, hundred years later to to Martin Luther. So the by the time Luther posted his ninety five theses, which is the official uh, bell of the Reformation, uh, by that time culture was ripe. The season was just perfect, and it needed it really needed someone as with a ri- ridiculous <laughs> a ridiculous vitality. Of of a uh, Martin Luther, you know, he just had all the right stuff. He had the smarts. He had been feeding on the word. He had been feeding on the word of God for a couple of years. And see, back then, theolo- even theologians, Catholic theologians, did not study scripture. Scripture was just one of it was a prop for the church. Um, and and so Luther 
because he was so he he suffered with depression. He just, he 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 really struggled with God, and so you know his his uh, mentor uh, suggested him get into scripture. So he did, and boy, he fed on it for a couple of years. And by that time, so you can almost indirectly say that it was the word. And Luther would tell you it was the word. He he said, while I was drinking Wittenberg beer, I did nothing, man. The word did it all. And so the word itself, the word of God is is uh, really responsible for igniting the Protestant Reformation. And, but it needed a Luther, you know. Then there was William Tyndale was very affected by John Wycliffe. I have a theory that the Tyndale, that John Wycliffe was a was a kind of a hero to William Tyndale. And uh, because, you know, he he took up the mantle of creating a, a vernacular scripture and that scripture that Tyndale uh, gave to the English people, it 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 emancipated not only English uh, spirituality it it ignited and liberated and emancipated um, culture itself. Um, and, you know, people fed on it. They were wild for it. They were crazy for it. And so. You know, a generation or, or two, uh, you skip the generation, you come to William Shakespeare. The language itself had so much vitality and so much power as it moved through, you know, through the, that generation after after William Tyndale that uh, it became the language it was. You know, the English language, even to English people, was kind of a yokel, um, you know, kind of a, a Thomas More called it, considered it the bottom of the pond. Mm-hmm. It was kind of it was kind of language that could cuss well. Yeah, <laughs> but but everybody, there's every the, you know in the church and in the universities they spoke Latin. You could only speak English on weekends or on certain holidays. And boy, Tyndale Tyndale gave this yokel, low life, you know, trailer trash <laughs> language. He gave it a majesty and a splendor that it that it was yet to have. And boy, we. We we owe him a, an incredible debt, but that's that's a long nutshell. But that's kind of the the Reformation in a, in a nutshell, or at least its beginnings. So, what was different about these guys, Tyndale and Luther and Wycliffe? What was different about these guys that pushed them to stand up against the the authority of the of the Roman Church at the time? Well, mainly uh, is the Word of God. I'll, I'll have to kind of give that as a number one on that because once they began to feed on it. Imagine this. You've been you've been led with fear. You've been led with, you know, just just misdirection and all of this stuff and, and fake news of its day <laughs> you know, from the church. Yeah. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden you're given an English scripture and you realize that you have been conned. You, you you've been mm-hmm. duped mm-hmm. For, for centuries. It kind of it kind of upset a few people, but the but the reformers themselves, and I'll use William Tyndale as an example because he's kind of become my my literary saint uh, in a, at a lot of levels. But William Tyndale, you know, he had to leave England to do a translation, and he's a good example of most all of the of, of first generation uh, reformers. And when I say first generation reformers, I mean at that time around when Luther, you know, fifteen seventeen, and the next couple of decades after that, Tyndale, Calvin. Uh, and then um, uh, Luther, Melanchthon, and people like that. But you know, Luther, uh, Tyndale had to leave England to translate an English Bible. It was against the law. He already had a target on his back, a price on his head uh, from people like Tom, Sir Thomas More, the great saint. Sir Thomas More wanted William Tyndale dead, dead, dead. He 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 wanted nothing more than to see a firebrand burning at his back, uh, which is awful. Uh, but that's that's just the way things were. But Tyndale. 
when he left England. Now think about this. Now you 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 want to translate an English Bible. You've got the you got the the right stuff for it. All the right tools. You know he spoke eight different languages. He had a master's degree, and he's just and he had this thing in it, it working in his heart. But for twelve years that he translated, he had to leave England in fifteen around fifteen twenty four, and for the for the next twelve years that he translated the Bible, the New Testament. He did a revised version in fifteen thirty four. The first one came out fifteen twenty six. Another edition came out fifteen thirty four, and he did the Old Testament from Genesis. The Second Chronicles and the Book of Jonah, but that whole time he had to reckon every day. He would wake up and think, "Well, now I'm paraphrasing, of course, and I'm speculating, but but this is this is you know not not that far removed from truth." He wakes up every day thinking, "Well, is today going to be the day that they're going to capture me, or is today the day that I'm going to be put to death for my for my uh, quote heresy?" So. What that does, it puts an incredible pressure on you. This this kind of severity that the Apostle Paul felt, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, and and it's that's another thing that's amazing to me. Kind of a little little tiny rabbit trail here. Uh, Tyndale could read Paul and could hear Paul's gospel like like probably no other translator has, simply because he was living. The life that Paul was living at the time, Tyndale lived through persecution and danger and and uh, and and hiding like that. In the same way Paul had to uh, most of his most of his um, uh, sanctified life, and so that it, it allowed him to hear uh, Tyndale could get in that crawl space between the he uh, between the uh, English and the Greek, and and could hear. The rhapsody in Paul, hear the clarity in Paul, and, and so the, you know, the the Paul that we had that we were given, you know, because we have the the King James Bible, which is essentially ninety percent or more of the New Testament, of King James New Testament is William Tyndale, but it's because of that pressure, and, and Martin Luther felt that pressure. All of the first generation reformers felt that incredible pressure. That what it does, it's it clarifies your thoughts. Like today, we have the leisure of our faith. We have a smorgasbord. If I don't like so-and-so's preaching down the street, I'll go to a preacher that I like. It really gets my juices going. It gets my, you know, it touches all of my right buttons. Or maybe I like his preaching, but I don't like the music. So I go down the street. Oh, I like their music, man. They play electric guitar. They're rock and roll. I like that. Well, I don't like the rock and roll. You know what I'm saying? It just, we're so spoiled. We have the leisure of our faith. And so we don't, we, it's hard for us in this generation, particularly now, to understand what these early reformers had to go through to, uh, to push, to, to allow this uh, reform itself to, to move through, through time. Um, but the cool thing about that is reform that I discovered in the writing of this book, reform itself is a, is a living thing. It's like the word of God. It's living. And it, 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 it was just time. Luther was there. Tyndale was there. All of these, all of these wonderfully gifted men were the and women were there at the right time. And but it's the pressure, you know. If we can, like I said earlier, the one thing that we can say about the the reformers, all of them or most all of them, is they spoke with an absolute clarity that that could not help but sparkle because of the conditions by which they had to speak. Death was always hounding upon them because the whole world was Roman Catholic and there was no option. You, there had, you had no choices and you were fined or put to death otherwise. 
And because of that pressure, they spoke with a, with a clarity and a lucidity that we lack now and that, that we desperately need. And I think that's I think that's what I learned in the writing of this book. I learned it. Oh, man, that that's exactly what these guys are are communicating to me and that's what i wanted the readers to communicate i wanted them to communicate to the readers that this clarity that we need if there's anything that american culture needs right now is is clarity and sobriety we just celebrated the 500th anniversary yes of yes the, mm-hmm. of the reformation mm-hmm. it's always good to release a book on on an anniversary such as this about the reformation but why was it important to you to release a devotional using the reformers as its backdrop? At first, I, did, I wasn't really thinking that way. You know, I, I did a book on William Tyndale, but did a book on the King James Bible. And so it was kind of natural when the 500th anniversary came up for me to do, for me to do something. I, was, I actually had in mind of, of doing a book, on, and I still may do it, a book on William Tyndale and Martin Luther together, like comparing Luther and Tyndale. They're two very different personalities. You you definitely have a bias for William Tyndale. That's, that's clear. <laughs> hey, I admit it. I well, I admitted it in the book right up front in the pro in the prologue. I I say that you know T- Tyndale has center stage and he's earned it. Um, you know, and and but I you know Luther's right there. You know he he's Luther deserves his stuff too, man. This guy was Luther was um, gosh he he had such a ridic- ridiculous vitality like a false like a sanitized version of Shakespeare's Falstaff you know he just had this larger than life element about him and you talk about foul language Luther Luther could get in the dirt uh, with the best of them but th- there's a polemic uh, battle that went on between uh, Martin Luther and uh, Sir Thomas More and boy you read them and it's like, I mean, I just want to close my ears. Oh man, stop, 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 stop. You know, and Luther will tell you, he'll tell you that his big revelation of, of uh, Romans one seventeen, uh, the just shall live by faith. He, he got that while on the toilet, you know, the cloaca as he called it in, in Latin. Um, but he's, you know, <laughs> you know, he had a real serious problem with, with uh, hemorrhoids. And I know that's kind of, <laughs> I'm not sure you want to talk about that. We're, We're going but there, he, dude. But he, but he did. He, he, and so he had a lot of, you know, he had a lot of revelation there. Um, we went, <laughs> got way off the course here. What, what was your original question? So, I got, that was uh, my fault. Why you wanted to write a devotional using the reformers as its backdrop? Right. Well, that's the thing. I did not want to do a devotional. I, my first book was a devotional back in 2005. It was called To Love is Christ. And we're still getting, you know, people are still quoting from it. It's, it's a, it was my first book, and coming from a songwriting background, "To Love Is Christ" is much more lyrical, and it's still available. It's still available too on Amazon and on my website. Uh, but coming to this book, I, I, I had preferred to do something like along the lines of, like I said, doing a book on Tyndale and Luther. But I had an opportunity to do a devotional. I, I'll be honest, I, I don't feel. Like I have devotion in me, I I I feel odd. I, I I certainly don't want to write a book as a fraud or or as an imposter. I felt like I had come off rails, and um, because of that, I I didn't want to do a book as an imposter or a fraud. And and I struggled with that because boy, if anything, people need today is absolute honesty. Uh, you know, and 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 an irrevocable irrevocable truth. And so I struggled with that. And I, I started writing the book and 
And I was still just kind of like, I felt kind of like Luther now looking back, you know, just struggling with it, you know, not sleeping some nights or being depressed for a couple of days. I mean, I really did uh, wrestle with doing this book. And I, you know, I talked to my agent a couple of times, said, man, I, can I give the advance back? <laughs> it's awful. Uh, but here's what happened is I started getting into these guys, reading more from Luther. And, you know, rereading Tyndale and getting to Calvin and to John Knox and some of these guys, something started happening inside of me. And I all of a sudden realized that 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 not was it, this, that the, the, there were two streams working in this book. One was the Reformation, which is historical. You know, it's an historical event. And we have what we have. You know, histories, you're always doing some very well-educated guesses, but they're still guesses a lot of times. But, but there's enough there, enough has been written on Luther that we have a, a pretty good idea of things. But there's two streams. So one is the Reformation history, which is history. But the other stream that caught me by surprise, that crept up on me literally in the night, <laughs> is reform itself. Mm. And I discovered that these writers, um, that, that reform as a living thing, like the, kind of like the word of God is a living thing, but reform was working in the text of these men and women. And I began to feel like it was working in me. And so what it did, what it did was, uh, Joe, was it, it gave me the voice of this book. You know, if I'd, have, if I'd have gone in here with, you know, my chest poked out and like, you know, I am... You know, I have arrived and I'm the man who can deliver this devotional because I have such a, you know, that's <laughs> that would have been a big lie. Right. I came back. I, I kind of crept up on this book myself because I did not want to do it. And I felt, man, what have I got to say to anybody that's going to be devotional? But like I said, these guys began to work in me. So, for instance, the prayers in this book, they reflect someone who has lost their first love or has squandered their faith and they're wanting their way back, you know, and, and, the, and I realized in, in someone who's disillusioned, if you don't mind, let me, let me read this. This is called out of the belly. It's in January 25th. And the title out of the belly comes from the book of Jonah uh, out of the belly of hell. I cried and you heard my voice, but here it says out of the belly. And this is from the author. And that's me it says, I have buried this confession in these pages for what I hope are the right reasons. I would have included it in the prologue, but an item this personal seemed awkward in the front matter. Truth is, I didn't want to write another devotional. I had come completely off rails, and for some time, for that reason, I felt I didn't have devotion in me because I didn't. The last thing I wanted to do was write a book as an imposter, a fraud. I give you, reader, more credit than that. Then I kept hearing myself say that the Reformation is historical, that reform is spiritual. It was a way to distinguish the twin streams that divide this book. But something was happening I wasn't aware of. I had a sense that somehow reform was at work in me. Reading and spending time with these writers has its consequences, but it brought into sharp focus the whole point of the Reformation, if not the point of this devotional itself. This squat little book is not just for the historically curious. It is for the disillusioned and the derailed the mute and disenchanted, those in need of reform. I know I am one of them. And I wrote the book. And so, yeah, yeah. And I, wow. I was a little nervous putting in there, but I tell you, once I, once I bounced it off of the editor at the, at the, at the uh, 
uh, at Abingdon Press, and they really loved it. They said, this is exactly what this generation needs. Uh, these guys, the, all of the reformers speak with an incredibly um, uh, lucid, uh, with incredible lucidity and with clarity. And this, this just adds icing to it. And uh, so, so out, out of that, this revelation for me came the voice of this book. And so I, you know, I can be very lyrical. My first book, The Love is Christ, is devotional. I'm very lyrical in that book. I'm almost over the top most of the time. But this book, I really, as me as the author, I kind of receded into the background as much as I could and, and restrained my lyricism. But the prayers at the bottom of each page, like there's a title, there's the, there's the reformer, then there's a quote from the reformer, then there's a commentary, then there's a section uh, that's kind of that either has a, a benediction, a prayer, or some historical bite, and then there's a scripture at the bottom of the page. But the prayers in this book, like I said, they reflect someone who's who's squandered their or or have have um, you know lost their first love and they want it back. So here's a here's a prayer from January third. It's called that I might burn. It says, "Renew the hunger that I have squandered or misprized, the confidence that has abandoned me." that I might burn inwardly again, that I might be light and warmth, illumination and comfort to those in need. In Christ, my lamp, my warmth, my confidence. You know, so a lot of the many, most of the prayers in here uh, have like on the on January 4th, the prayer says, give me clarity in uncertain times when the whole world is noise. May I not be moved otherwise. Christ, my clarity, the music in the middle of me. And so as I, as I did, as I was writing this book, these prayers kind of flushed up in me and I realized, man, this is that I, that I really I was in the I was in the exact posture to do this book that I and then I got to thinking, man, did I go off because I did. I was off rails for quite a while and I'm not even sure I'm completely back yet. But these guys are kind of helping me on my journey back. If that, And that's a poor way to put that. But I realized that I, I was in the right position, the right posture to do this book, that I couldn't have come in with the great confidence. I had to come in as someone who might have just heard the word of God for the first time or someone who realized that they've been conned to forever. And they, they're caught in this, this, this middle ground where there's, there is disillusionment, disenchantment. And these got, so these got their words of the reformers had to affect me. And I had to be in a posture where their word could affect me. And man, I, I look back and I think, goodness, did I did I go off rails myself, or was I actually put off? You know, was I mm -hmm. was I kind of put outside? You know, I mean, because I, I was, I was outside, and and uh, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm slowly working my way back. But I tell you, man, I do know this that I'm not the same as I was. You know, and I did ministry for for a couple of decades, for 20 years, you know, that's all we did. So we, I made my living singing and ministering in churches and prisons and girls' homes and, and our, had a Bible study in our home. But I just can't be that way again. Something broke in me. You've used a couple of terms, and one of them, of course, you, you felt like you were off the rails. But also you, you felt very similar to how the people during, during the reform felt. Yes. You felt conned. Yes. Absolutely. Conned. Yeah. When you said, yeah. did you feel conned by your faith? Did you feel conned yeah. by the church? Did you feel conned by God? All of those. <laughs> I did. I, I did. I, I, I said, I have said some very vile things to God. 
I'll just be really honest. And mm-hmm. I, I see that's and that's one of the transactions that I think is very necessary. That if I had that if I had, that, that that if there's something in me like a confession like that, I need to speak that out because there's a lot of men and women pastors that are going through this. They're going through very similar things that they're they, you know, we've we've we lit, you know, and I'm, I'm I was almost I'm, I'm probably more upset with myself for allowing myself to be conned. You know, God, I think is is much bigger than we give him credit for. You know, we, I remember when I first got saved in 1981, I, I went out and bought me a King James Bible and I read it through a couple of times. The next thing I know, it's the Lord this, the Lord that, or I'm starting to pick up little phrases from church. The next thing I know, my language has changed. And all of a sudden, it, 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 I've become kind of, it, it becomes kind of campy. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Where, where I, I sound differently than I did, you know, just a couple of years before that. And that's not a bad thing, but it's like, is it a, is it a really is is it an honest thing? There's so many lies out there on all in all in all corners of it, and we're being lied to in so many different ways. I I want the reader to be able to, as they read this, to be able to make judgments outside outside of politics, even outside of what they know of in in churchianity. You know, Christ, yes. Christianity, most of the time I'm not so sure of. Yeah, I tell you the truth, Joe. If we ever needed a reformation, not only in culture, but in Christianity itself, it's right now. I hope that this book, like I said, can make a can make a dent that that it because I do feel I, I feel touches of reform. Can you see another Tyndale and Luther in our culture? I at this present point I'm not so sure. I mean, right now, if I had to, you know, a point take point, I don't, I don't know if I could. I don't think we're there yet. Um, and and here's the reason why. I think I think we're still drunk. I think we're still kind of in a stupor. Um, the 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 um, how can I put it? Okay, like like going back to the Reformation days. The the Roman Catholic Church was drunk on they were drunk on rage for the heretic. They were drunk on their their own image. They were drunk on their the obscenity of their wealth, you know, and their their lavish buildings and the Pope's newest girlfriend or or whatever. And many of the monarchs of those days were drunk. They were drunk. You know, Henry VIII led with a with a a malignant and reckless narcissism, you know, and uh, you know the, the culture itself because. Truth was shielded. The Roman Church shielded the truth. They kept the truth from the from the uh, common believer. Most of the believe, many believers back then looked at the Roman Church as, uh, or, or at least the um, the liturgy, as a form of magic. Uh, the phrase that we have "hocus pocus" is thought to be a, a corruption of the of the phrase uh, in the Mass, where where Christ says. This is my body. You know, the Latin for that is hocus corpus meum, hocus corpus meum. Mm. And that's been corrupted to hocus pocus because, you know, the typical believer would come. They didn't understand Latin. And many of the priests that intoned the mass didn't understand Latin. So all they saw was this this, la- this lush, these lush robes and the, the incense and the gold and the, this mystical stuff going on behind an altar and, and, and saying all of this polished Latin. They thought it was magic. 
And so there was a kind of a drunkenness among the people, too, because of the lack of truth. And so Luther came and challenged that drunkenness. I think right now, and I could be wrong, man. I'm not, this is not a thus saith the Lord by any stretcher, but, but my, my uh, opinion from what I've read of these guys and what I read into culture today, I, I feel like we're still, we're still drunk. There's a, there's a drunkenness out there. Uh, and I'm not talking about just Christianity. I'm talking about culture at large. There's a drunkenness for, for rage. There's a drunkenness for accusation. There's a, just a drunkenness on our, the leisure of our faith. You know, we, like I said, we have a smorgasbord and we're, we're drunk on ourselves and our opulence and our, you know, uh, all of this stuff. And I think what we need more than anything is an absolute sobriety. And I don't think, I really don't, this is hard to say, but I don't, it's not, it's certainly not going to come from politics because there's very little clarity there. And I'm not sure it's going to come from the church as we know it now, because there's very little there's very little clarity there. We're we're you know, we're polishing our our denomination, our denominational image or even our non-denominational image. We're polishing those images and we go generation after generation, you know, supporting those images and feeding those images and cultivating those images. But what's going on with the truth? You know, we're so busy. I've. I've I can't tell you how many times in the past, I mean, decades ago, where people would walk out, you know, of a concert because I might have said something that they didn't agree with or, uh, goodness, I did. A, I played my fiddle at one church years ago and 30 people get up and walk out, you know, I, and you see, they, I had my eyes closed when I was playing and I didn't even know that they had been to a, a, a Gothard seminar that weekend and I guess we're told that anything with a beat is evil. So when I played the fiddle at the request of the pastor, uh, I played my fiddle and and they get they get up, you know, made a big deal out of walking out. Uh, and it's about this was in Georgia. My parents came that night. And when I got through playing the fiddle, I didn't know they had left. The first thing I said, well, did we lose anybody with that one? <laughs> And my wife, I look back in the back and my wife had tears in her eyes. And I'm thinking, hmm, what happened? And so at that point, this is what's so weird. After I did the fiddle, I sat down at the piano. I said, you know, we got this big sound system and stuff. But let's, it was about three or 400 people in this room. I said, let's, let's gather around the piano. Let's just sing some simple songs. And because everybody in that room had to deal with these people walking out, you know, making their statement that David Teams has brought in evil to our precious midst, you know, Everybody was dealing with that except for me because my eyes were closed and we got around the piano man in worship. I was, I was like, even amazed, like, man, this is good. They, you know, I mean, they, <laughs> worship was, was elevated. You could almost, I didn't, I don't know if we were elevated to the clouds or the clouds came down to us. And then after that concert was over, the pastor comes up and he says, man, I, I need to apologize to you. And I said, for what? And he says, for those people walking out. And I said, what people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the point of all that, the point of all that being that we're still polishing those things. We have those kind of things when those things are so silly and silly is the right word. I never thought I'd use the word silly for American Christianity, but there's so many elements of it. Not all of it, because there's still a whole lot of good. There's still a lot of, you know, the word is the word, but so much of it is silly. And I, I tell you the truth, man, I think, I thank God that he put me outside, that I was off rails. Because it was it was necessary to write this book. And I think 
it's like, it, and I'm not comparing myself to John the Baptist by any stretch, but I do believe someone like a John the Baptist or a William Tyndale who literally stepped outside to have to do a, a you know, I mean, he didn't have the protection Luther did. You know, Luther had the protection of his prince. He had the protection of a castle. He had a wife eventually. He had tons of friends, and and uh, but Tyndale didn't have those things. And because of that, he, you know, he, he, um, uh, had this incredible pressure on him, but it, but it brought out of him, brought out of him an, an, an incredible clarity, but he was outside. He put himself outside and God put him outside. Like John the Baptist had a clarity that you couldn't get in the midst of the congregation. You know what I'm saying? There's some people that are gifted or not gifted. Well, yeah, gifted. They're, that are, that are, they have to be put outside because they, they can, they can look at, the bigger picture, and, and, and it, it has to break your heart. And I think it did. Each one of these, each one of these men, uh, mm-hmm. Luther and Wycliffe and Tyndale and, mm-hmm. and the, other, the other reformers, they had a personal fire in them uh, that was yeah. sparked, that was right. ignited. How, mm-hmm. does somebody, how does somebody today, how do they bring about that personal fire? Is it truth? Is it transparency? Is it authenticity? How do they take that? Do they, does, does somebody just grab the Bible and take it for what it is in their heart at the moment, unfiltered, un- unencumbered? Do they take that and, and how do they create their own personal reformation? The main thing we need right now is sobriety and clarity. And I, I had a, I was with Gloria Gaither just a few weeks ago and I was, I was talking about, you know, I was saying, you know, at that time I was in conversation. I say, you know, Luther had clarity. He gained clarity. And then with clarity, uh, sobriety and then liberty and Gloria, we were having breakfast. She said, man, that's not that's not the order at all. <laughs> she said, David, you got the order backwards. First comes liberty. And then clarity and then sobriety. <laughs> and, you know. You know, I, you know, it was such an easy, it was such an easy transformation of my own thoughts because I thought, I thought, you know, Gloria, you're absolutely right. So uh, I actually wrote an article. It's on my, uh, it's on my website called "Lady Liberty Owes a Debt to Martin Luther," and it's a, it's, it's the aftermath of that conversation with Gloria. But liberty really must come first. Um, and I think with me. Gosh, and I and like I said, I'm not I'm not there yet, man. I'm not going to to tell the world that I'm that I'm back on my whatever because I'm it's not the way it used to be. God, you know, if there's anything going on in me that that has God's hand on it, it's a redefinition and a reimagining of of not only of 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 myself but of but of Him. You know, uh, I didn't understand why when you pray all day about something or for months or years about something and something just doesn't come to fruition. I didn't understand those things. Now other pastors, boy, they'll have the answer. They'll have the, the pat answer or the answer and they can convince you. And that's great. That's wonderful. But it, but I'm not so easily convinced. And, and I just had so many questions, but I think as I, as I began to, uh, you know, study these guys and saturate myself into, into these reformers, I found myself, because of the book, getting back more into the word. And I think there's a, there is a center there. 
And I think that's like you said. I mean, you you said it. I, I can't really add much to it. It, it. it begins with the word. The Reformation began with Luther saturating himself or marinating. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Marinating himself in the word. And then it's kind of inevitable. That's what he said. It basically, you know, to paraphrase what he said about Wittenberg beer, uh, <laughs> that it was inevitable. There was something inevitable in him. That's what that's what Thomas More hated so much about William Tyndale. It was the inevitable he saw in him. So I, I don't think I answered your question because I think I, I feel like I'm still searching for that myself. But I but I but I do think that that if you can somehow and I don't even know how you would do this. You know, these these writers and the way I have 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 you know commented on them might might help. But if somehow to put yourself outside, you know, I, I would love. And a lot of people get you know, a few people I've talked not a lot of people, but a few people don't understand this and even have taken an issue with this. But if, I would love to find or or discover a faith, a Christianity outside of its own language. You know what I'm saying? One of the one I wrote a song uh, last year called, and I'm still thinking this song could be an anthem for culture today. It's called "Think on These Things," and it's basically from Philippians four eight. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are, uh, uh, no, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue. If there be any praise, think on these things. I love that passage of passage of scripture because, boy, if any if there's a song that needed to be uh, brought out and exercised in culture today, it's that one. And the beautiful thing about it, it doesn't have any markers on it. It doesn't say the Lord this or Jesus that or God that. It just says whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure. Um, and I and I love that. And and it's it, it's not outside scripture and it's not outside the language of scripture. And, and yet it doesn't have those markers. I would love to, to be able to, and I've done this. I, 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 I this may sound odd, but, but I saw glimpses of reformation, the way people in this country went to the aid of those in Houston and those in Florida, particularly, mm-hmm. you know, these are Christians and non-Christians people you know, giving giving their time and substance to strangers and for nothing in return, simply. And you tell me that that's not an exercise of the gospel, because it is. That is an exercise of the gospel, and it doesn't have any markers. It doesn't say in Jesus' name this. So we have to tag everything with, you know, with, with that. And that's not. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what I'm saying. But I'm, I, I just wish we could grow beyond that. To where you know we we can see glimpses of reformation, not in politics, not even from the church, but in the common citizenry of this country, there's a there's a Christ thing at work. Because I think if you go deep enough, you're going to find that that's exactly what it is. You know uh, that that there's elements of the of the gospel, and I saw glimpses of it there. You know, people giving of them of themselves and for nothing in return. That was a beautiful thing. You know, culturally, David. I don't, re- I don't know if I remember a time and maybe it's because we've had these, maybe it's, maybe it's the media. Maybe it's because we've had mm-hmm. these, these, uh, these series of events. Uh, but I don't remember a time where, where crisis after crisis, natural or man-made, whether it's a, a shooting in Las Vegas or a, or a hurricane in Texas and yeah. Florida, 
where people where yeah. people genuinely have come together and said and said we want to serve our fellow man and and and, yeah. and the thing about that is is you don't have to know that God is involved to know that God is involved that's that see that's exactly the point I'm trying to make you know it's like we're I look at some of the efforts of uh, of Christians trying to be so political. I'm thinking, man, why are you wasting your faith on that? Why are you investing so much? Well, he, you know, so and so has all the answers. If they have, no, they don't. You don't know that. That's that's a that's an act of faith. You're you're, you're investing faith to do that. I I man, I, I'm excited about what you just said because I, I I think. There is some some element. I mean, there's just so-called prophets out there saying this and saying that, but I, I don't. I, I I just don't buy it. I I think there's something bigger at work. And I think you the way you even just phrased that um, was uh, you know man you don't need me on this podcast. <laughs> you say these things very well, very well. But I I tell you what, man, it's got it's got my ear open. Um, because you know, because what you're saying, basically, God can. Here's a this is a great example. You know, uh, in the King James Bible, um, you have I think it's in Exodus where where uh, God is speaking to Moses and he introduces himself to Moses as what the great or he didn't say the great, but he says I am that I am. You know, tell them that I am sent you. Well, if you go to William Tyndale's translation of Exodus, he doesn't use. Uh, I am that I am. He says, uh, I, and I think it's Exodus 3, maybe. He says, I will be what I will be. Tell them that I will be sent you. And what that does, if you go, you know, if you compare the two, I am that I am has an absolute, has, has an absolute about it. That, that's a more of an absolute statement. With I will be what I will be, there's something less certain about that. In other words, and Paul kind of said it this way too about the gifts of the Spirit. I think it's in Romans 12 or Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, basically, that I will be what I will be at the time I need to be it. In other words, people have asked me, so what is your gift? You know, and I said, well, you know, I've done this and this and this at the time I've needed, if time I particularly needed a particular gift, it was there in operation and in power. You know, it's not like one specific thing. I mean, there, there's some things that I've been gifted with, you know, that are natural to my instincts and stuff like that. But the whole point of this being that, that God is much bigger than we've given him credit for. And by saying, by announcing himself as I will be what I will be, there's a sense of, there's a sense of becoming. He, in other words, he like love. He is being and becoming at the same time. And I and I and I love that man. You cannot you cannot restrict God to a language. Even if you say the Lord a hundred times, I, we you know we, we're familiar with the Greek Orthodox Church, and they you know they'll some of their they'll say Lord have mercy. They'll say it forty times. In their prayers in a row. I'm thinking, man, once or twice, maybe. <laughs> What's the point of 40 times? That's man-made. Right. We don't need that. And, and there's a there's an expression of God beyond what we've given him um, credit for or giving him license to do. We don't believe that of him. So we have to put him in this box where we have to say it 40 times at generation after generation after generation. 
But I, and the thing about that, that quote from Tyndale, um, Harold Bloom, who's, uh, he's in his eighties now, but he's probably at least one of the, the major uh, literary critics uh, in, in America. Uh, he teaches at Yale still. He's in, and, and uh, he's not, he's not a Christian at all. Matter of fact, he's vociferously non-Christian and uh, he's a nominative Jew, he says. But he says that William Tyndale translated that phrase uh, correctly, that that he comes closer to the Hebrew than the King James translators do um, with I will be what I will be. And uh, I I love that. If you look at that phrase and the, and the, and the nuances mm-hmm. between those two phrases, and I'm not going to get into a language discussion mm-hmm. here because I'm not I'm not qualified right. at all. I'll leave it up to the right. geniuses. Right. But if you look at uh, if you, you look go. at those two phrases, I am what I am, and I will be what I will be. The la- the latter, I will be what I will be, seems to capture the essence of God as Jesus Christ more so than than right. the than the unwavering, the un un um, unmovable. Sure. I am what I am. I will be what I will be. That that there's a grace in that. There's a there's a sure. flow in that. There's an acceptance in that. I, yeah. I don't know if yeah. that's if, if if you're tracking with me, David. But I am. No, I I am. I am. God will be what He needs to be in the moment right. He needs to be it. That's the way and I translate And it seems to be that. more yeah. Christ-like. Yeah. It seems to be more absolutely. I know it's weird to say, well, God was being sure. Christ-like. Of course, yeah, of course He was. But it's the, the phrase seems more Christ-like than than I am what I am. You're absolutely right. I, you know. I am that I am has a, has a, like I said, has a kind of a, a certainty about it. And people love to talk about it that way. Well, I, I love the absolutism. And yet God, you know, he's a, it, it's a mystery for a reason. Uh, you know, my dad gave me a Bible in 1986, the year my, my son was born. And uh, right in the, in the rare front, he just, it, it, he just sounds love daddy. And he put under it Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God. That the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. And we don't, I'm not sure if we really give him that much credit, man. I am that I am. Takes away some of that mystery. Right. So where I will be what I will be, all of a sudden, man, you know, you, you have you, it, that, that, that um, certainty recedes back into the shadows again. It's not quite as certain. And it's the uncertainty that invites faith that that keeps it alive and kindled uh, you know it's like when you're dating someone or you know you're you're you know you're, you're falling in love it's that it's that mystery that keeps you in pursuit you know you the the woman who just kind of gives you like you know just look like like a like a very faint perfume that just kind of like you know <laughs> throws you into this wonderful uh delirium or something but it's just a touch of perfume it's not too much perfume it's not too little, but just the right amount, you know, and it kind of kind of draws you in. It's the same thing with with a statement like I will be that I will be, you know, and I, and I love that about this whole thing. It gives me gives where I'm at right now. That that gives me more hope because basically a statement like that just says that God's much, much bigger than we've uh, allowed him to be and given a credit for. The book is called Godspeed Voices of the Reformation, a devotional by David Teams. I know you, you talked a little bit about how you came to believe in Jesus Christ. Did you grow up in the church? Did you have, do you have a faith-based background? 
Uh, yeah, I did. I, I, I went to a small little Christian church, and that's what it was called. It was the Christian church um, in Atlanta. Uh, it was real close to downtown Atlanta. Uh, my dad was the we didn't they didn't call him worship leaders back then. He was the the music director and and uh, you know I was baptized at nine years old I think um, and you know and we were we were a, a quote good Christian family <laughs> Southern typical Southern Christian family. My, my grandparents went to our church and it was kind of, you know my cousins and everybody you know, half the church was my family, but it never. I'm not sure it ever really took with me. I really, I really don't. I, I went to high school and, and right out of high school, I went to Georgia State University and studied psychology and philosophy and quit going to church. It just, it just really didn't mean anything to me. And of course I was studying philosophy and, and uh, I, I decided at 12 or 13 that I wanted to be a, a psychologist. That's really what I wanted to do. I got a, a degree in psychology. I went and, uh, to graduate school um, for a semester uh, in educational psychology. And I, you know, I was going to try to get a Ph.D. and all that. And, and after a semester of graduate school, uh, a friend of mine, uh, a guy that I met through my brother, we put together a band and started playing music and Within a few months, had this really good following in Atlanta. This is, and and uh, people, you know, during the summers would line up around the buildings to get in. And I thought, man, this good Lord, why do anything else? And it was making, starting to make good money. So I quit the academics and played music like that for the next seven years, and then met Mylon Lefevre. Uh, before I met Mylon, about six months or so before I met Mylon, I started questioning you know things like when i was working clubs and there's you know typical club thing i mean w- my band we were so serious about the music we didn't drink none of us drank uh none of us did drugs i mean you know back in you know the 20s might have experimented here and there but it wasn't an issue with anybody um because we the, we were having so much fun with the music and anytime i'd ever drank and tried to play music I just it just didn't happen, so it was never an issue. I just didn't do it. It wasn't something I grew up with, and so it was never an issue. But about six months before I met Milo, I really did start questioning things like, man, am I going to be doing this forever? You know, singing these same songs. I was starting to do a few of my own songs, but but you know, we were a show. We had a you know, it was it was, and it was a good. I mean, last club I was in, we me and my partner owned ten percent of it. We were making really good money, so. I was questioning these things and all of a sudden I'm in a locker room after playing racquetball one day and Mylon Lefebvre's in there. I didn't know Mylon. I didn't know who he was, uh, but he had hair down to his waist and uh, he was talking with some of his friends there in the locker room and they were talking about music. So I knew they were in a band and I'm standing there. I had hair down to my shoulders and he just struck up a conversation and uh, introduced himself. He says, my name is Mylon Lefebvre. And I said, oh yeah, man, I, I, because growing up in Atlanta, you know, the Lefevers were there. And we, when I was little, we would watch them on TV. Uh, the, Lef- the singing Lefevers, I think, is what they were called. So I said, yeah, man, I, I recognize your name. He, and he said, do you know God? Ah. <laughs> and I said, uh, duh, well, uh, duh, no, I, I don't. And so we, we went into the jacuzzi. And this, you know, it was a racquetball club. Went in the jacuzzi, the, the hot tub. Sad. He just talked about, he just talked about God. I mean, he had been. Mylon had been saved a year at that point. He he had been on heroin for 13 years. 
and I think God cleaned him up. And so he was, I was the first one he, he uh, led to the Lord one-on-one like that. But we talked, we eventually left the club and went and followed him down the church. We talked for four hours that afternoon. And that following Monday, I went to see his band play. They were doing a Monday, weekly Monday night thing. I went and gave my heart to the Lord and quit the clubs about three or four months after that. And uh, I'd always felt this kind of like, like I need a cause. I've, I've always had this kind of deep in my psyche that, that, you know, <laughs> I, I needed a cause and all of a sudden, and that could be, that could have been translated then as, you know, a calling. And so I felt a call. Mylon had me on stage after two weeks. I'd been saved for two weeks. He had me on stage singing songs. And I, you know, first I thought, man, this is great. Go from one stage to the other, <laughs> you know, but, uh, I had, uh, you know, within a year, well, actually after about the first six or seven months, I, I started feeling, I started fighting against it. Like, man, cause things were happening. All of a sudden I wasn't making money like I, like I had been before. And, 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 and uh, life was very different now. You know, people are saying, well, the Lord's going to do this. Lord's going to do that. Well, he was sure taking his time. <laughs> and I, and I found myself, I found myself just really thinking, man, this is, I've been conned. I can't do this. And this is only six months into it. And one night after I, I had a, an engagement on a, on a Thanksgiving, a Tuesday and a Wednesday night, there was things going on at that church and I was invited to, 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 to play some music. So I thought, well, okay, after the Wednesday night thing, after that obligation, I'm done. I'm going to pack up my guitar and I'm, I'm gone. I'm out of here. And I was packing up my guitar on that Wednesday night. And, you know, I was by myself in this big room and packing it up thinking I'm, 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 I'm gone. I'm out, man. And feeling a little bit down about it too. And this, this lovely woman comes back in the back um, into the room and, and, uh, she didn't even introduce herself. You know, she said, she said, look, you don't know me. I don't know you. Um, I was here last night and I really felt that God wanted me to talk to you and say something to you, but I didn't, I wasn't really sure it was him. So I thought I'd come back tonight. And, and she said, tonight it was so strong. I was going to get, get ill if I didn't speak. So look, I'm not one of these people that say, thus saith the Lord or anything like that. But she said, I do feel like I, that he wants me to tell you this to take your eyes off of Christians and put them on him. And it was just her delivery. There was such transparency and she was a beautiful girl, but with me, it wasn't anything like, like, wow, I'd like to see her again or blah, blah, blah. It was nothing like that at all. It's just this lovely transparency with her. And I, and I opened up a little bit. I said, you know, I, I can't, I can understand, I think why, because it's all still kind of new to me. I said, I can understand why, you know, you're, you're, what you're saying to me is so powerful. And, and, and we talked for a few minutes. I didn't even get her name and she left. I, did, I, I walked. And I remember I was so young in the Lord. I thought, man, is that one of those angels unaware mm. things? You know, because they, as she left the room, there were kind of shadows uh, through the door and she walked through the shadows and I never, I didn't see her again. Now I'm married to that woman. No kidding. <laughs> I, no. Yeah. Yeah. And what's cool about that. When I first got saved, now let's go back, you know, when I first got saved, like I said, Milan had me singing and stuff. And there was this, there was some people in the church choir that had me come sing on a Sunday morning. And this was probably three or four weeks 
into that. And I was like, oh, man, this is great. So I wrote this song called Remember Me. I'm the one who loves you. And that's all the chorus is. Remember me. I'm the one who loves you. Remember me. I'm the one who loves you. Remember me. I'm the one who loves you. That's the chorus. I can't even remember the verses, but that's how the chorus goes. So I sang it that morning and with a little group that there. And uh, this is like, remember, this is I, I was less than a month, saved less than a month. And I had hair still down to my shoulders and I wore this little suit that I just bought. Now, that day, Benita. She had gone through a, or was going through a horrible divorce. And she had a child and she woke up that morning and she felt that God had forgotten her. She said, I, she said she woke up, didn't even want to go to church. She said, God's forgotten me. And, you know, she didn't want to mess with Adam. Then she thought, well, OK, I'll go. So she got her son together, Adam. Uh, he was, I think, two at the time, maybe three. And she went on to church and church was packed and she had to park good ways away. And she almost left then, you know, but she got out of the church and it was packed. And she thought, well, I'm, you know, I, there's no seat. I'm going to just leave. And so someone, someone comes up to her, an usher and says, well, there's a seat up in the balcony. It's right above the um, right, just above the platform. You know, the, the, I don't want to say the stage, but basically above the, you know, above the pulpit and where the, the choir sits and everything like that. And uh, so, she didn't wear her glasses that day, and and uh, so people, uh, on stage she could see figures, but they were kind of fuzzy, right? No, not really articulate. But she's sitting there thinking, "Man, why am I even here? God has for, forgotten about me." And she said, "Then you know, right before the sermon, this this guy comes out with a light colored suit on with a few other people, and he sings this song. When the chorus comes, it says, "Remember me, I'm the one." <laughs> God, oh I'm the one who loves you. She said she said she lost it. She doubled over and lost it and came undone. And, you know, the cool thing about that is that when we were married, this is after we're married. I'm sitting around. I've got my guitar. And we're just she's sitting on one end of the couch. I'm sitting on the other and I'm just dinking with the guitar and I start singing. Remember me. I'm the one who loves you. And she she rose up. She's shocked. She says, that was you. <laughs> wow. And it's, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, after that moment at the church when she, when she lost it, then six months later, I'm, I'm about to leave. And she comes back to the back, having no idea that that was the same guy and says, you know, I feel like the Lord wanted me to talk to you and, and say that to you. And, 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 and after she left that day, I, I didn't see her again for, gosh, she'll probably say a year. She gets dates better than I do, but it was, it was many months before I saw her again. And I, I saw her and, uh, you know, again, months, months later. And, and, and uh, you know, it was just this nice, warm, and she was beautiful, uh, just this beautiful person, a beautiful and a beautiful appearance, too. And, and we, we were talking. I said, well, would you like to go out sometime? And she said, well, look, I'm, you know, I'm kind of through with men right now. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I said, well, you know, how about a cup of coffee? Meet me for a cup of coffee. And, um, uh, so she agreed to that. We met at this place uh, and had some coffee. And <laughs> I kept uh, there were I, I kept grinning, you know, during our conversation. She says, what's what's so funny? What's what? I said, I can't tell you because what was going through my mind was there's my wife sitting across the table. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so two weeks later, now I'm sitting there with Miss. I don't want to have anything to do with men. So two weeks later, I asked her to marry me. 
And, uh, and she said, yes. <laughs> wow. So I will be what I will be was all over us, all over both of us. You know what? I mean, I, I'm, I'm writing, I wrote a, actually wrote a novel. It isn't out yet, but I wrote a novel that takes that story and puts it into a, a novel form um, because you, you can't make stuff like that up. You know, it was just such a beautiful, I mean, you know, I affected her early on and she affected me and neither one of us <laughs> knew that that's you know i will be what i will be at the moment i need to be it you know and so that's that's where that's where and then you know when we got married i went into minute you know we we had a band together for a while and did a little album but i couldn't make a living with a band and so i went out solo and did a couple of other things but again man i start i think i've got this perpetual luther call it unfected it's just this and there's no there's no uh, English uh, equivalent to that was just this unsettled thing. I think I've got that in me. It's part of who I am. It's part of my own. I will be what I will be uh, working in me. This this unsettled thing. I, 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 I did church after church after church after church. And after a while, I just got burnt out. It's like, man, uh, you know, I, I, it was hard to find unity. Uh, it was hard to find agreement in places. I mean, beyond the, the very basics, those little uh, concentric circles that overlap, you know, that, that get smaller and smaller where our lowest common denominator is between churches, you know. Um, but it was real. It was it just got depressing. And I, 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 I here I am in full time ministry and and, uh, you know, I, I burn out a few times. We we actually left. um I forget the church we were going to at the time. We we actually we were going to so many churches week after week after week. We hardly had a home church, but we we actually started going to a Greek to an Eastern Orthodox church. Uh, and the reason for that was uh, it was so we visited once, and it was so other. It was so different than what we were used to in the mainline denominations that I felt like this is good for me because it had nothing. They didn't do worship the same. It was old world stuff and that just the romance of it, you know, the incense and the soft lighting and the, the chanting and it was all English, but it was still chanting and just old world kind of stuff. Um, I was drawn to that. But even that I, I burn out after a few years. And I tell you, it helped me with this, with the working on the Tyndale book. And, and uh, it helped me to understand Luther and what the reformers were up against, because it it's if you walked into an Orthodox church today, you would think you're in a Roman Catholic church. The old world Catholicism is almost identical there. You know, the Tridentine mass was was actually celebrated in both East, East in the Orthodox church, both East and West, Roman Catholic West and the, and the Orthodox East. You know, they were all one church up until 1054. They split over ridiculously silly reasons. Um, one of the reasons that they split was in the uh, in the original uh, version of the uh, of the creed, where it says the the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father, and with the Father and the Son is 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 glorified. Um, the Catholic Church at some point added, "Who proceeded from the Father and the Son." And they split up over that phrase and the sun, you know, they, they couldn't come to any agreement on that. So it's, I mean, it's, to me, that's kind of silly stuff. I mean, when you consider the world as it is, or it was then I mean, the world as it is now, 
but uh, even there, I began to feel past couple of years, couple of years ago, and I think that's this is what led me to, to just kind of step out and get off rails. It's like I felt nothing. I would go to church and I'd want to crawl out of my skin, and and I did that for for a couple of years. And I thought, man, why am I punishing myself here? I, I you know, I was I, I quit reading the Word. I you know. At, at that point, I was I was writing books and I was I enjoy I tried to write my Majesty book and my Tyndale book without any uh, agenda. In other words, I would I wanted Tyndale to speak. If there was any agenda in the book, Christian agenda, I wanted Tyndale to say it, not me. I don't I don't like reading histories that 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 lean too heavily left or right. You know sure. what I'm saying? Uh, just give me the facts, ma'am. Give me <laughs> give me. Give me, you know, the history there. Don't try to color it with your, even if it's Christian agenda. I just don't think that's honest. I don't. I, I think books like that are unattractive. And when they start, when they start trying to sell me something, I, I just quit reading it. You know, um, and that's what I wanted my book to be sanitized of that kind of stuff. But uh, I even told the pastor there, who was my daughter-in-law's father. I told him, you know, back in 2013. I said, you know. It's taken the Orthodox Church 14 years to totally dismantle my faith. Mm. And he just sat there and stared at me. He had no, he, he couldn't, he didn't, he, he didn't say a word. I mean, I was sitting there basically crying out like, man, I need, I need some substance, man. I need some fellowship. I need, I need something more than I'm getting in this liturgy going down and making signs of the cross and all these little silly things. That we, I need more than right. that. He, he didn't have a word. And I, I kept going for, for a few months, and I, I said, oh, this is ridiculous. I'm done. I'm done with church. I'm done with God. I'm done with this whole thing here, man. And that's, uh, you know, I, it was like that for, for months, and I, I really didn't know. Part of me felt an absolute freedom. Part of me was still attached, but kind of below the surface, you know, where where you're where you're you know, in the depths of you. I kind of knew there was something still there, but I felt, I felt my soul in, I felt my soul in a ruin mm. and I felt something, something was broken in me. And, you know, now, right now I look back and I feel like that was a good thing. I feel like for me, for David teams, the way I have been all my life, you know, I, 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 the way my instincts have led me and the way I do get, burnout here and there. I, I felt like it was a good thing that there's, it's like these, it's like Luther, it's like Tyndale. This, this, there's something about brokenness and being a ruin, being just a, a, you know, really that's the best word for it. Being coming to ruin in certain ways in your soul, that that's a good thing that from that only you know, reformation comes. Uh, here's, here's what I was going to say a minute ago. And I lost my, my train of thought. The, the uh, and I'm I'm sure I'm guilty of this too, but but reform came officially following um, the indulgence. You know, the Roman Catholic Church has a thing called an indulgence. Basically, that Christ has so much merit in heaven that the Pope could somehow tap into that merit, and people could buy it or they could work for it. You know, and it's it's as Luther and Tyndale both say, it's a it's a fantasy. Um, you know, that, that you could, you know, for it, put a coin in the plate and you could get Aunt Mildred out of purgatory, you know, Nintendo will say, well, purgatory is a fantasy. So this is a fantasy. And, 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 but it, it had to come to a head. And so it was, it was the indulgence 
led to the Reformation, to led to reform. It pushed Luther, somebody like Luther, to a, it pushed him against the wall, and finally he stood up and, and stood up against the old world itself, stood up against a, a lack of liberty and made his stand. And I feel like we're in kind of in that place today that we live in an indulgent nation, that it is, it is the indulgence coming to an excess that's going to kind of ignite another reform. And now I'm using the word indulgence in a little different context, but it's still an indulgence. If you go to whatwouldlutherdo.com, there's a series within that series called The Indulgence. And I talk about the indulgence as we know it now is our, you know, even in our spiritual context, we have the leisure of our faith. We can believe however we want to, whatever our fantasy you know, lends ourselves, whatever our exaggerations lend to, we can we can follow those paths. Um, you know, truth has kind of become uh, in the church and outside the church. Truth is just you know, it's it's taken a back seat to all kind of things these days, and and so that's part of part of the reason for that is is the indulgence in the bigger picture, the indulgence that we we have caught ourselves up into, and the drunkenness of culture today, and and I'm that's I I. I I anticipate reformation, and if and if I am used in that uh, capacity, then I do know this: that if God uses me in that capacity, then He's using a person who is down to their raw existence. You know, man, don't don't try to con me with your sermon. You know, preach to me with your life, man. You you, you know, we're love. Christianity is supposed to be about sacrifice. It's supposed to be a love that gives all for nothing in return. That's what it's about. It's not some kind of a new psychology or, or a self-help crap. It's about giving your, it's about, it's about death to self for love. I, I think people are ripe for it right now, David. Um, but when totally you talk agree. about indulgence, I it's, t- it's when I think about indulgence, I think, Access to pleasure for for nothing yeah. Yeah, for nothing right. else than pleasure's sake, and oh, absolutely, you're, ab- you're absolutely and, right. And we yes. have that's exactly what indulgence. We is. have instant access to pleasure at at, at any yeah. given moment. I mean, and I, and I'm not talking oh, about absolutely. I'm not making it sound like it's a there there are bad pleasures or there there certainly are indulgences that are bad, but sure, but. If it's if it's a comedy that you want to that you want to just escape, you can do that all day long on YouTube and watch episode after absolutely. episode after episode of Seinfeld, you know, and oh, and yeah. just oh, indulge absolutely. yourself you completely in this culture. Exactly. I mean, in in, in pleasure, <laughs> and true. and yeah. and and people are are way. I think people are are coming out of this stupor. I think they're. I think we're kind of drunk still, but. They're coming out of the stupor saying, what have I been doing? It's almost as a microcosm. Think about, think about binge watching on Netflix as a microcosm. You wake up and you've realized you've watched, you've just watched 14 hours of stranger things. And you think, (laughs) what have I been doing? What have I been, what have I been doing for the past 14 hours? And and in in that same sense, what would you say to that person, David, that is seeking that is seeking faith, that is seeking something bigger, that is that is looking at Christianity. What would you say to that person about about Christ? Well, the first thing, the first thing would be you have to, for that same binge watcher, 
they got to get to a place of realizing that they are drunk, that this is, you know, they're kind of in a, kind of in a stupor. Um, and that's, that's not always easy. I mean, you know, that's part of the drunkenness is the, is the license to do those things, man. We, we've been given, you know, it's an entitlement, you know, uh, we're, we're, um, and we are, we've been drunk with our entitlements. We're drunk with other uh, the grander pretensions of this age, you know, like we have this narcotic attraction to celebrity. Um, you know, who really, who really cares what Kim Kardashian does or doesn't do, you know, God bless her. She's got her life and her thing. That's great. But why, is, why does that mean? Why, why do we live in a culture that has actually become something important? That we, it is. It's a drug. It is, and that's why I call it a narcotic attraction to celebrity. But I think the first step is is coming to that place. Uh, I, I've never been an Alcoholics Anonymous thing, but but I think these are the things that it, it's. I, I probably should do a study of it because I imagine that the steps are very similar. That first you got to realize, man, I need help, and I am drunk. That I do not have control over this. Where is where have I given over control? In other words, have I squandered my faith? And I think that's probably the first step. The second step, man, is is I think once you realize, here's here's what's happened to me. I I, I realized that I was out and really, and I'm I, again, I'm not saying it just to sell this book, but reading these guys and kind of gravitating back to the word through having to do this book, it's it's allowed me to to see that I've, I've I've been kind of in kind of a stupor of my my own, you know, being depressed. Uh, you know, I've, I've I've succumbed to that a lot, and or, or I have, and that's kind of a stupor, you know, or 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 whether it's being off rails or you know cursing at God or raising an angry fist, you know, which by the way I'm sure God can handle those things, and sometimes it's good to be it's good to feel those things again. When the anger rose up in me, at least I felt human again. It's like, man, maybe I can come back. And I think that's maybe the response most, a lot of people will have. They're not going to be sure what to do about this feeling once they begin to awaken from it. And then they go to their church and they're getting this they're getting you know kind of kind of fed the same thing with the same um, you know, soporific word that's given in, in that same old grind, and it's just not going to be enough. They're not going to be able, to, it's not going to satisfy anymore because there's, there's the clarity that I, that I have felt being outside. Now I can hear things that used to be so vital to me, and it's like I hear it differently. In other words, I think I'm, I think I'm less likely to be conned in or out of the faith, you know, uh, less likely to be conned now than I was then. And some of that's age. I mean, I'm, I'm an older person now, and, that, and that, hopefully that's one of the perks of age is is clarity. But but I think I think it's like Gloria said, liberty has to come first. And I think liberty comes with comes with the word. It comes with struggling with self. And then with and then you know, then from liberty comes this clarity. And all of a sudden it's it's like crystalline. And then with clarity, sobriety. And then from there you have choices to make. But you know, we're we're starting to visit this church uh, not too far from us. It's not an Orthodox church. I can't I can't do that anymore. I, I just I, I can't do that. My son still goes there and it was a you know it was a, a kind of a 
bone of contention between him and me because I, I think he felt a sense of betrayal because I was, I gave up on the Orthodox Church. I can't do, I can't do what I feel like is two-dimensional, elitist uh, Christianity anymore. I can't do elitist. Elitist Christianity to me is is just horse manure, uh, to put it in a very sanitized way, <laughs> <laughs> or bull manure. You know, I love I love it when when uh, Luther was talking about Luther, when the Pope, I think it was Leo X, uh, sent out a decree to excommunicate Luther. It's called a bull, and I love <laughs> I love that phrase, a papal papal bull. You know, so I kind of played with that in the book. But uh, I think that's the best I can say to to these to to a person like that that's first just coming to an awareness that that uh you have been swept up in something that's very you know it's very intoxicating man you know the entitlements that we have enjoyed we you know we've earned those you know we we we've we've uh, culture has evolved and it's still evolving you know technologies you know they're probably way ahead of us and we're you know we're still we're still behind the smartphone we're still behind the television you know instead of instead of being in front of it we're behind it so it's still like you said we're it still rules mm. us you know so there's a lot to to break free from but i think that's first is awareness and then then perhaps you know the liberty that comes in the word and with that awareness and then from there uh, clarity and sobriety and then from that point man i'm that's where i'm at now just trying to figure out just trying to figure out what's next, you know, just taking taking one day at a time. And and um, I don't have I don't have the, the bigger answers. Uh, I don't even have the answers that I that I felt like I used to have years ago when I felt a lot more. I was a lot more um, didactic. I was a lot more bold in my in my approach and my delivery of the word. I just don't have that boldness anymore. But I tell you what, I feel like I'm in a better place, a more honest place now. Um, like I said, am, am I back totally? I, I don't even know how to answer that. I, I just know that, that, uh, you know, reading these guys and going out promoting this book, it, 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 it reanimates me. And I, and I feel like reform is the issue and reform is what I needed and what my struggle with this book purchased for me. And I'm, 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 I'm allowing it to work. And that's where I'm at now. I'm allowing reform to work. But I tell you this, and I'll end it with this. They, it's giving me a new perspective. I can't go back. I can't, I can't do the old, that old language, the Christianese. I, I, it's broken in me. I can't, I can't do that anymore. If people need that, then that's, that's fine. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I need something beyond that. I need a language that gets right to the nut, right to the essence of who you are. Tyndale called it the pith, P-I-T-H. That's that's where, because I can love people. If one thing about all my years in Christianity, I can I learned how to love people. I do know that it, it's a sacrificial thing, and 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 I I dig that. I, I even when I was off rails, I was still there. I think the gospel still had such a hold on me. Uh, and it still does, and that's that's what I love. It's the essence of things, you know, that that that, that moved me. And I think it helped move me through time. Wow, David, we have certainly covered a lot of ground today. The book is Godspeed: Voices of the Reformation, a devotional by David Teams. David, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate your time, man. 
David's website is davidteams.com. That's davidteams, T-E-E-M-S, davidteams.com. And Godspeed is available on amazon.com. Again, I heartily recommend this book. Go to onfaithsedge.com slash 91 for all the links related to today's show. That's onfaithsedge.com slash 91. And if you'll be kind enough to use the Amazon link in today's show notes, it won't cost you a penny more. Once the show wraps up, at the end, you'll hear a recording from Godspeed by David that he recorded exclusively for us. Well, that'll wrap up today's show. Thank you to David Teams for being with us. And thank you for listening. You mean a lot to me and you mean a lot to the show. Remember, God is real. He loves you. And so do I. Stick around. God bless. Thank you for listening to On Faith's Edge. You can subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, Internet Radio, or your favorite podcast app on Android, Apple, or Windows devices. To reach out to Joe or leave comments about the show, visit onfaithsedge.com. You're important to us, and we would love to hear from you. The Lucidity of Paul, William Tyndale Therefore, let us arm ourselves with the comfort of the Scriptures. The Obedience of a Christian Man, 1528 While being hunted by the imperial wolves and over much of Western Europe, Tyndale wasn't defenseless. He had friends who loved and trusted him as he them. The word network is a Tyndale word. He introduced it into the English language in 1528. Working on an English translation had its advantages. It kept him saturated. And not only with scripture, but in the mind of Paul. His English touches Paul in ways other languages don't or can't. And capture Tyndale was a fawn among jackals. But his work was done. After its release in 1526, he continued to revise his New Testament, making 5,000 edits. He didn't finish an Old Testament. His heart was in the New. In the face of peril. Requiem. Lord, thank you for the example of William Tyndale and those like him, who, in the face of peril and false accusers, tormentors, in the face of his own hot death, stood upright. More of an indifference to death, his was a quiet dignity, sustained by a deep, irrevocable confidence. Let me honor his sacrifice in a living way, to not only receive, but to forward instruction to those who may hear him through me. Each word of God is a shield set afire to all that hope in him. Proverbs 35, John Wycliffe Bible, 1395.